light here. Um, over the course of the last two weeks, uh, Ian has been um, leading us uh, through this series that we began uh, called Lessons from the Desert. Uh, and we're looking at the story and the early chapters of Joshua and the people of Israel, uh, which is just an absolutely fascinating story. Uh, this whole series actually emerged um, in part uh, during our full leadership team retreat uh, last year. Uh, we've been reflecting a little bit upon people's experience of Alice Springs. Um, when people come to Alice Springs, they rarely leave the same. Usually something shifts within them. And particularly people who are coming maybe for three months or for six months or for even 18 months, uh, many may even be here tonight or joining us online. And, and, and people come to Alice Springs and, and they want to ask the question, hey, what is this experience going to be like? And, and of course, we can share a little bit about you know, the complexity of our environment and, and, and all that jazz. But at the end of the day, we do see people shift and change, not just in terms of maybe how they see life, but also spiritually. And we ask the question, hey, if someone was coming in for the first time and said, how is Alice Springs going to change you? Maybe there could be a few kind of threads. There'd be a few kind of links that we could say, actually, expect to see change in yourself in this way, in this way, and that way. And as we started to kind of unpack those, um, we discovered that there was a similarity between what the Israelites experienced in the desert um, and perhaps what we experience here in Alice. Because again, whether you come to Alice Springs for weeks or for months or for years, usually as a result of being within a desert environment, you walk away, un you don't walk away, shall I say, unchanged. You see, I believe that this context, this environment, the isolation of the desert perhaps itself kind of creates this transitional moment within us. Maybe we don't come to Alice Springs intending to move from one place to another. Maybe we do. Maybe it's a relationship or a job or an opportunity. Sometimes these are steps of faith that people take when they move to Alice. But even if you just accidentally turned up here, I'm convinced that actually in the context of desert, some of these transitional moments we don't need to seek out. They actually just happen because we are here. And that's what I want us to learn from the experience of the Israelites tonight as they take this step over the Jordan River and head toward Jericho as part of taking that promised land that God had for them. So for a little bit of context, uh, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, uh, they had just scouted Jericho. Joshua, the leader of the Israelites, had sent out some spies. They checked out Rahab the prostitute's house. They kind of got it all kind of sorted. And then they came back and basically said that we are ready. And so that was all well and good. The land was ready to be taken. They believed that God had the victory awaiting them, and yet there was still something to cross. And it wasn't kind of an emotional barrier. It wasn't even a spiritual barrier. It was a physical barrier, and that was the Jordan River. And this is where we meet these people once again, standing at the edge of the Jordan River, ready to take this transitional step in a desert environment toward what God has for them. And so let's see what it says. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, early in the morning. Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. Now, what I love about this right from the get-go here in Joshua chapter 3 is he's just got the report back from the spies. Hey, we're good to go. And he's not hanging back. He's not, all right, let's just like suss it out for another six months. It's like, all right, we've got the report back from the spies. We've got our entry point, And early in the morning, now it is time to go. There was no delay and there was just this intentional move forward. You see, and I think this is an important thing for us because there's one thing inside of us in these transitional moments where there's this kind of conviction to go and do something, maybe to take a step of faith or to step into these places we haven't been before. 
Sometimes you have the conviction to go, I know I want to go. Sometimes you might even have the wisdom to go, I've been resourced by these spies in this case. I'm ready, but it's another thing to actually go, right? We can feel the desire to step into places that may challenge us. We can be resourced to step into these places, but we actually need to step in. And that in and of itself is something significant. And that is what we see in Joshua here. And now, a little bit different to how I often do sermons, we're actually going to read the entire chapter of Joshua chapter 3 before I kind of backtrack and unpack some of the lessons that are going on here. But don't worry, it's not too long. But as we roll through this, I want you to hear what is kind of underlying this conviction and resource that is to go that might just prompt Joshua to move forward with such passion and with such conviction. It says uh, in Joshua 3, beginning at verse 2, After three days the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Now, I just want to do a little bit of contextual stuff in case you're not familiar with some of this language. Now, the Ark of the Covenant uh, was essentially like a box that went with the people of Israel and it represented the presence of God. That's the thing you need to know for tonight. It represented the presence of God. The, 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 The stone tablets that Moses brought down, the sense of what it meant to live by the law and the Torah was held within that box, yeah? So very significant box. And the Levitical priests were the people who were set aside as those who would look after Uh, and essentially be the priests of the people. So they're going to go ahead. You are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. We'll come back to that. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you, that's Joshua the leader, in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. That deserves a round of applause. No, don't go. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, Set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped Now, I'm just going to stop here for a moment. I just imagine being one of those Levitical priests, right? You're carrying this ark, which weighs a lot, and you're essentially walking into the Jordan River with this idea of essentially this massive weight. You know, it's not like this thing is going to float, right? And so you're kind of walking. I just, I just, 
feel for the Levitical priests. They're like stepping in here, holding essentially a millstone. And I could just imagine that with this thing on their shoulders, because they used to hold it on, on kind of rods made out of wood on their shoulders, they're kind of walking into this water. If God does not come through here, this thing is taking us down into the depths, right? And the author stresses that this isn't kind of a little trickle of the Jordan right now. We are talking about Jordan at flood stage. So just in case people were like, oh, maybe it was just a little trickle, that kind of stuff. The author wants to make it clear. This thing was risky. They were going down if God did not come through. It piled up, that's the water, in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan while the water was flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completing sorry, had completed the crossing on dry ground. So that is actually the end of the chapter. And so we have to ask the question, what is God teaching us about life in the desert, about these kind of transitional moments through this story? And this is the thing I want to kind of highlight first. I've got a little summary slide, so it's all there in case you get lost. But the first thing that I think the desert requires and what it requires for you to live here in Alice Springs and to experience what God has for your kind of transformative kind of heart in this context is that the desert requires our patience. It requires patience. And if you've lived here in Alice Springs a while, you know how much the desert requires patience, right? What I loved is the fact that the people, they knew what they were promised, but they still needed to wait. There was this really strong emphasis from Joshua. It's like, you need to wait for the Ark of the Covenant to go before you, before you enter this land. God is going to be going before you. The presence of God is going to go before you. And so even though you're excited and you're passionate and you're ready to go and you believe that God has this land for you, you still need to wait for God. I love that language he uses. You are going into places where you have not been before, so you need to watch the ark. It's leading you somewhere new. And this is what God does for us here in the desert. He leads us into new places and new experiences. And sometimes people can be so impassioned about seeing breakthrough and transformation and trying to fix whatever it is that they see that they can go wading into that Jordan River without waiting for God to go ahead of them. And again, if you've been in Alice, six months, 12 months, you will have seen this already. If you've been in Alice for decades, you would have seen this over and over again. <laughs> because the desert requires patience. I love that detail. It's like leave 2,000 cubits in front. You know, let the ark get 2,000 cubits in front of you. And this wasn't just because no one was allowed to touch the ark except kind of the Levites, all right? So that, that's kind of, there's a bit of history there and, and, and all that jazz. This was actually about giving enough buffer distance. It's about 900 meters in our units of measurement. I love that idea that this, this presence of God is like just 900 meters ahead. I saw it go past. It went that way. It's almost just out of distance, isn't it? Just, just far enough, right? Just far enough that you know, it, you know it's there, but at the same time, it's not too close. And I think this is so important for us. We have to keep our eyes open for where God is at work. He's paving out pathways for us, opportunities for us to follow him in these transitional moments in the desert, and we're so tempted to jump in there. And yet, the instruction from Joshua is let 
God go first. I just wonder. I just wonder whether God has placed a, a kind of a, 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 some passion in your heart or you see a need and you have a deep desire to respond to it. And, and there's almost something you're like, this is prepared for me. Because this is what the people were feeling, right? There is something good that is prepared for me. There is something great that I'm going to share in. And yet Joshua's, Joshua's instructions just just pause. Let God go first. Now, again, this isn't an excuse for passivity, right? That's a completely different thing. We don't just sit there and and not claim what God has for us. But we need to be cautious that we don't jump ahead. And, again, God is the one who can do the miraculous where we can't. I sit with people who are part of organisations here in Alice and even Christians who have deep passions and resources. And at the same time, it's really evident that I was, I was chatting with, uh, with a couple of members of Children's Ground just the other week, and they were going to come into a big windfall of money, and that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing that they're, they're hoping to get all this money to resource the various campaigns that they do. You know, but at the same time, even they, as non-Christians, they were like, hey, we know we can't do this just with money, right? But that could be the temptation. Well, if we have the resources, then we can bring about the change. But actually, it's God who changes hearts. And I think this is what we learn in the desert as we witness people try and try and try. Good-hearted trying. But it's God who needs to bring about the miraculous. And that's exactly what he did. As they stepped into that water, it built up. And again, little details. We always picture it like, you know, building up next to them, right? That's always how it's kind of pictured in the Bible. It's like, no, no, this is built up ages already. Like, that was up the hill. That's where it stopped, Right? Maybe it even took a little bit of while for the water between that place and when the Levitical priest steps in to kind of just move along. Do you ever think that they put their feet in and just had to wait a little while for the water because it banked up up there? Fascinating. And so they're stepping in and going, well, we trust that what Joshua said is going to true. We trust that God is going to come through. We trust that God will bring the miraculous where we cannot. We're just kind of stepping in. We're going ahead, trusting that God will do what he will do. And then there's the people behind them going, is this really going to work? 900 metres back. There's this pacing in this story that we ought to be aware of. There's also a beautiful little detail in this passage where Joshua talks about the fact that God, who is ahead of them, is the living God. The living God. And, uh, and that is actually a significant term because that's the same term that Peter would later use in his great confession of Jesus as the Messiah. I wonder if Peter even knew the kind of words that he was using when he uttered, Jesus, you are the Messiah, were the same, uh, the, the son of the living God, were the same words that Joshua first uttered in the biblical text as they were about to make this significant transition moment and yet had to wait just for a moment to see it come to fruition. There's no mistake that what Peter was experiencing as a disciple and what Joshua was experiencing as a leader are connected. The desert requires our patience. God goes first. The second thing that I feel like comes out of this text, which is really a profound, is that the desert environment requires that we listen. And of course, this has a similarity uh, to uh, patience because you know you kind of get one with the other. If you feel like when you read through this story is there are maybe some similarities to stories you have heard before, that is not by mistake. Joshua is reenacting the leadership and the experience of Moses, who was his mentor. If you're kind of like, hey, is there another time when they crossed through some big body of water 
and maybe it kind of stood up on the sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's called the crossing of the Red Sea, yeah? This is no mistake, right? That what happened with Moses and how Moses was leading his people and God's people in that initial period, Joshua is recreating. And so it's really important that we identify that Joshua had learnt from the example of his mentor, Moses. Again, as he says, God will do amazing things among you there. That's a direct quote from Exodus 34 where Moses said exactly the same thing. Joshua has been learning from his mentor. He's been learning from the people around him. And I think that this is what the desert also teaches us, that we need to learn to listen. I remember when, before Megs and I actually came up to Alice Springs, we, we came up for a little kind of sneaky visit to kind of feel it out a little bit and that kind of stuff. And, and during that time, we, we deliberately met with people who had lived here in Alice for a, a really long time, who'd been part of the church, who had been patient but were godly. And we kind of sat and we said, what are some things that we need to know so that we don't have to experience it firsthand? What are some things that we need to avoid, some things we need to dodge? so that we can experience the best of Alice without suffering the kind of things that we don't need to because of wisdom that has gone before us. And so this is the kind of thing that I think the desert invites us to do, to listen to the stories of those who have gone before and to remove that kind of arrogance that says, I'm the one who is going to fix it this time. And so we listen and we learn from the best examples that we have, and this is what Joshua did. If you notice a bit of repetition in this text as we kind of go through it, there's something called a chiasm, which again is a biblical uh, literacy kind of uh, piece. It's like, a, it's like a particular way of writing where the gold is found in the middle of a, a whole bunch of repetition. And while I don't want to go into too much detail here, in Joshua chapter 4, as we read through that next chapter, you'll notice that the central axis, the middle point of this chiasm, where you see this repetition before and after, is this verse in Joshua 4.14. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, as he said he would in Joshua 3. And they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. And so the author is trying to make this really, really clear. Joshua is imitating his mentor Moses. And again, this is what the desert requires of that, that we learn to listen. It's so easy not to listen in other parts of Australia. I've lived in other parts of Australia. The impetus to listen is not so evident. But here in the desert, it's required. And I think it's something that we take with us even when we leave here, if indeed we do. Let's continue. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place you will stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. 
So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of tribes of the Israelites as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. And I love that this, in this transitional moment, right, the instruction that comes along with that uh, impetus toward patience and that along with that kind of instruction to listen and learn from those who have gone before also comes with this instruction to remember. Remember this moment. Remember God's provision. And don't just remember up here, actually mark it. Mark it on the territory itself. And I feel like, again, something that we need to sometimes unlearn if we've been part of different environments that are so much more fast-paced, if we've been part of environments that, where, where there's just a huger body of people and where resources are just at our fingertips at all times, it can feel like. The desert teaches us to remember and mark the moment. Because we need to kind of carry these stories of where God has been at work, where we've seen God break through, where we've seen God go ahead of us. We need to carry these things lest we become discouraged or disheartened. Because that's sometimes the way. I mean, when we look at the Israelites wandering through the desert even prior to this, even with God's provision literally there in the form of manna and quail and his presence there in cloud and in fire, like God's presence was so evident, still we see over and over again the people getting disheartened and saying, I want to go back to Egypt. And sometimes it just drives God absolutely nuts. But we know this can be true of us as well, right? If we're not actually marking the moments where we see God break through, where he opens up an opportunity, where we've found a provision source that we didn't expect, and if we don't mark that in some way, the temptation is always to look through the lens of our situation and our environment through a sense of, I don't have enough. God hasn't delivered rather than the God who actually goes before us and prepares the way and provides us with everything that we need, even the miraculous. And so he says, hey, take them from the middle. Don't take them from the side. Take them from right where God has been at work. Don't move on too quickly. And also, I love the 12 stones. Take responsibility for your tribe. This is going to be a memorial, a sign that will last for all time. I just wonder whether you, in some way, have a tribe around you. Maybe your tribe is your family or your cluster of friends. There's some sort of kind of tribe kind of feel in your world, and it might just be that it is your responsibility to be the one to pick up that stone from the middle of God's provision and make sure it is a marker so that that moment is not forgotten. Because if you don't pick it up, I wonder who will. And this is a challenge for each of us, and particularly as Christians, particularly as people who are looking at the world and saying, hey, where is God at work? Will, be the one, will we be the one who picks up that stone? Will we be the one who takes on this lesson of ensuring that we remember? Because we know that to remember is core to life in the desert and actually create a marker to pass on a story that we trust will actually outlive us. Because monuments prompt questions. And when questions are prompted, we re-share again. One of my favorite little New Testament parallels in this is the story of Jesus uh, 
healing the paralytic and there's like so much going on there in terms of him being lowered through the roof and all that jazz and the faith of his friends and we could talk about that for ages but i love how jesus says take up pick up your mat you know, stand up pick up your mat and take it home and i've always been fascinated by that instruction pick up your mat like take your mat with you you know did jesus not want to like the mat to stay here did he not like it you know all that kind of stuff it's like no, no take your mat with you and I just think that's just fascinating because I go, what did that paralytic do with that mat? God had just absolutely transformed his life. There was a miraculous moment. It certainly required patience on behalf of him and his friends to dig through the roof, right? And yet I kind of like to imagine that that paralytic took that mat and he kept it in his house or stuck it up on a wall or something. And as people walked in, this isn't biblical, this is what I like to think, all right? People walked in, they looked at that mat and go, why is that hanging there? And that former paralytic would say, let me tell you a story. Now, I can't say that's what happened. But I'd like to think that in the instruction of Jesus, even through the miraculous, he's creating opportunities for people to remember and retell their stories. It's not just a moment. It's a lesson that needs to be retold over and over again. I think for me, something that I, maybe I can do better publicly, but something certainly for me personally that's been really helpful is utilizing my notes app on my phone. And everyone's gonna have a different way of going about doing this and some people journal and some people draw artwork and you find the way that suits you. Uh, it used to be that my notes app was like a to-do list. <laughs> I knew if I opened my notes, at least I had a kind of a, a comprehensive list of all the jobs I had to get done. But nowadays I open my notes app and it's like 250, you know, which even for me is overwhelming. Because I know it's not just lists of to-do jobs anymore, it's actually stories. Stories of ways that God has provided, little bits of insight that he's prompted over time, and I can scroll through that list, and I can even look back to two, three years ago and ask the question, oh, that's what I remember when God did that. We need to find ways to create and capture moments. Whether it's in an app or whether it's by sharing a story or drawing a piece of artwork or, what, or, or literally putting a rock on the ground if you need to. If you have a backyard and something happens and you just place a rock on that ground and that reminds you to share that story, then by all means, you go ahead and do it. But the desert teaches us to remember. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people who went up from the Jordan camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when it dried up before us until we had crossed over he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the lord your god 
Just one more reflection I just wanted to kind of round this message off with. I love that after this miraculous event had taken place, after the people were patient and after Joshua had, had learnt and listened from past examples and, and, and as they were instructed to remember, after all this happened, the instruction here from Joshua to the people is like, hey, God did what he has done before. And notice this language here. He dried it up before us until we had crossed over. Now, there's a little detail there that would be so easy to miss. We had crossed over. Okay? It's important to understand what the nation of Israel looked like right now. Joshua and Caleb, these two people, were the only people who would have been over the age of 58 right now. Everyone else would have been younger than 58. Okay? Because back in Numbers chapter 14, because of the people's lack of faith, their lack of conviction that God was going to bring them to the promised land, all the people outside of Caleb and Joshua over the age of 20 okay, were going to die before they crossed over the Jordan. That was the consequence. And so when Joshua and Caleb says, we had crossed over, you're talking to a group of people that unless they were 38 or older, right, they wouldn't have actually experienced this. They wouldn't have experienced that Red Sea moment. In fact, they would have had to be probably closer to 48 to actually remember it. And yet, at the same time, Joshua is inviting this whole group of people into the bigger story of what God had been up to from the beginning. He actually invited them in. Essentially, he says to the people, now is the time for you to join us, Caleb and Joshua. In this moment, you have experienced what we have. You are experiencing the provision that you were chosen for. And I just think that's a beautiful, beautiful invitation. The desert requires our patience. The desert requires we listen, and the desert requires us to remember. God goes first in the desert. There are examples from the past that we ought to embrace and learn from. And there are moments that God wants us to mark to ensure that we don't forget them. I don't quite know what your experience of Alice Springs has been so far, whether it be again, weeks, months, or years. But I believe that these lessons that the people are learning in the desert all the way back then are so true for us, especially here in Alice Springs today. There is this uh, ancient rabbinic parable that speaks to the experience of Israel through the desert. It says that there was a man who was walking by the way having with him his child, whom he allowed to proceed in front. It says, brigands came to kidnap the child, and so the father took him from the front and placed him behind him. A wolf appeared at the rear, and so he took the child from behind and again placed him in front. Afterwards, brigands came in front and wolves behind, so he took the child up and carried him in his arms. So did God act toward Israel when he delivered them from Egypt. This is what God does in the desert. 
He allows us to walk in front. He allows us to follow behind. But when things come from behind and come from front, he invites us to be caught up in his arms and carried. And as you experience the desert, as you consider these lessons, my reflection for you tonight and the question that I have for you to consider, particularly as we head into God's stories, which we're going to do in just a moment, is where is God right now there for you? Do you feel like you're wandering in front? Do you feel like you're behind and you're standing there in front of you? Or right now are you being carried? For Israel experienced all these things, and we do too. And so I want to invite you right now to take a moment to consider your past week, but particularly with the nature of tonight, maybe you want to consider your experience in Alistair so far. Because we need to mark moments, and one of those ways that we do that is through God's stories. And so we often ask three questions. How has God cared for you or someone else this week? How has God reminded you of something important, a truth about you or about the world? Or has God just done something amazing in your world this week? So you can call it week, you can call it month, you can call it your time in Alice, but let's just take a minute to reflect. Where has God been at work? What moment does he want us to mark so that stories can be shared. Let's take a minute now. Yeah.